millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You're listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. This is Paul Hawksby. And Max Rushton. But for some reason, I called Max Sam at the end of the show, and I haven't quite worked out why. So um, it was. Do you, do you feel bad about it? Are you I okay do, about it? I do. It? I just don't, don't, don't know where. I, all I can think is we, I've been saying the name Sam quite a lot over the last three hours, and I just couldn't get out of the habit of it. But I do apologise. Hey, listen, I take no offence. What's your middle name? I've never asked uh, you. Paul. 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 What about that? I know. That's what a good middle name. That's wonderful, isn't it? Mine's William. It's after for Paul the completest. Hawk- after Paul Hawksby. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, my parents loved. I'm not um, sure about the timeline there, but but there we are. <laughs> what were you doing in 19? 19- 1979. <laughs> That's a very good question. I don't know if I want to relive that. So anyway, um, what do we do today? We um, talk about break dancing. We talked, yeah, well done. That's we did right. talk about break dancing. Uh, it's like, George, don't ask me this. George Sampson joined us. <laughs> he was on good form. The winner of Britain's Got Talent. He told us about break dancing as an Olympic sport. Um, we also brought you Cruyff or Binny, oh, yeah. didn't we? Take, uh, there's so much pressure, because yeah. now the pressure's on me. I sideways, I didn't move it forward, I'd like to think. I have a think this, this evening. We'd have yeah. Mike Calvin on, and he's a brilliant writer, talks about a lot of uh, very serious issues and talks about it very well. Yes, and um, what else did we Jimmy do? Burns. Jimmy Burns. Jimmy Burns, that's yeah. right. It was a pack show. Jimmy Burns, the author of uh, Cristiano or Leo. Could be the last time they play against each other tonight or not. So we thought we would look at that, and we took it in a slightly different direction as you'll discover good afternoon everyone good afternoon Max good afternoon Paul uh, nice to be here yes. just hearing that they're start, you know Coventry the right you know they say they're starting the biggest vaccine in Coventry yeah. I don't know why I've got something I don't know I've never felt anything personal against Coventry it's a very um, antagonistic way to begin the show I just wondered if, well, if Coventry why? was the right place to start I don't know where well, where start. would have been the right place would it know. have been London Max would it have been there you think <laughs> no, no, London think so. would have been the place it's a good point I hadn't thought about it yeah. I haven't got a better place I just well you know, someone had to do it that's didn't true they? isn't it thank you to the people of Coventry it was it was that. amazing footage of, uh, of the old lady today. I mean, yeah. I should know I should know her name because she's definitely going to be a quiz question in in years to come. She's the first lady who was vaccinated, the ninety year old lady who got the vaccination this morning. We also know who was the second person to get it because Margaret Keenan. That's right, ninety one. Margaret, remember oh, ninety one. Remember Margaret because uh, yeah, she looked a bit all nonplus by all being surrounded by journalists and stuff. It's a bit like when um, it's a bit like when that uh, you know when uh, the first 
Romanian was allowed in the UK, and they were like, you know, because Romania had joined the EU, and there were yeah. going to be millions. And there was, was that young one, lad, wasn't he? Young guy like, got I on remember. a bus, and they were like a million journalists. He's like, what's happened? Yeah, here? why am I? It's the same as you know, Mrs. Keegan. Isn't yeah, Keenan. How soon forgotten? I had to bring it back to sport. <laughs> Mrs. Keegan, <laughs> bring it back to sport. Now we know the second person to get it because they they have a they have a famous name. The thing is, it must be a relative because the gentleman was William Shakespeare from Warwickshire. So he's he he got the second jab. So I think that it must be related. Surely, oh, somewhere down the line. Yeah. I mean, that would be is, a p- not particularly eventful edition of Who Do You I Think You Are? I was about to are? say, is he really, famous really? enough to get on as the second person to get the vaccine? Well, that, that they would then say, well, They've made that many series of it. I think we are getting to that stage. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I wanted to do I really thought you'd reject this, Paul. I just well, thought your standards were higher than Charlie and Barry's. This well, is something that would easily get in on a Saturday or Sunday. I just thought you had a better... Well, we, we, we did, I think we were talking about calling this section Save It For The Weekend, <laughs> but we, we'll allow you one Save It For The Weekend okay. every week. Right, OK. So Save It For The Weekend is simply, do you share the name of a famous person? Is that it? I mean, I've got some tweets already. Alistair Campbell. Says, yeah, I love getting uh, I love getting abuse about the Iraq War in yeah. my inbox. Uh, George Osborne says, my kind of content. Gary Lineker has been in touch to say, yes, I am. So it's nice of Gary to get in touch. Oh, that's yeah, <laughs> that's good of him. Yeah, um, but um, there can't be many other Gary Linekers out think there. So. I wouldn't think. Especially, you know, he's he's really yeah, a lot of self belief from Gary to believe that he himself is famous. But maybe we'll let him get away. Yeah, with it. I, th- I think he's, I think he's got a point. But uh, before social media, just having a famous name was not an issue. But when that that person of note then done something that that's worthy of people having a pop at them. I mean, it's a bit like. Um, Chris Hoy. Remember, he used to get inundated with abuse for poor refereeing performances. <laughs> well, well, Charlie Baker uh, shares the name of the governor of Massachusetts. So quite often he gets some really sort of high-end political What abuse. are you going to do about my drains? <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. What's happening uh, on the Upper East Side? And Charlie Baker has to, uh, has to fix it. Uh, Jason Bourne, of course, works here, says no one ever brings it up. With me, yeah. And, uh, Richard Wilson says, <laughs> "Well, at least that's a fictional character. Being named after a fictional character, Jason, is one thing. But being re- re- named after a, a real person, I mean, it must. I mean, do you mess with it? I mean, I don't. I'm just trying to think of one at the moment where you could you could change it slightly so to take people off the scent. You know, do you right. know what I mean? Where no. if you are, well, if they're, uh, I, 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 you know, something at the top of my head, I cannot actually think. Oh, think if of someone, one fictional character. I cannot think of one. This does not bode character. well for the next three hours. That I can't think of any you know fictional. The first character. one that came into my head was Baloo from the Jungle Book. So I obviously, <laughs> I'm not on form. Bring back Andy, seriously. Is the second person who uh, Blakey asked us is the second person who got vaccinated related to Craig Shakespeare? Well, he has a good chance because uh, Craig Shakespeare is related, isn't he? To I didn't uh, know William. That. I mean, I take it most people are. If you're a Shakespeare, there's a pretty good chance, isn't well, it? I, we'll find out. I don't know. It's very important that we learn something, something as well. Did you watch uh, uh, the Brighton-Southampton game? Uh, yes, I, yeah. Uh, what did you think of that? I thought the interesting thing about that VAR decision was that I just didn't... I just stopped caring. You know, yeah. it's got to the stage <clears> now where I'm not, like, putting my head right up by the telly and just wondering if it's in the box or not. I just went, I'm just going to... A, why'd, I you, just, I just, why'd you put your head right up to the telly? <laughs> just, you know, do you think, think it, getting that bit yeah, closer to the so. telly? <laughs> with, the, with basically the pixels. Do you, you realise the closer you get, the worse the picture no, no, is? No, no, no. It's not, I, it's not, I, it's not I, pin sharp. If it's, it? a really, if it's a really tricky whodunit, yeah. right, if I really want to know, you know, if it's the end of, uh, you know, the usual suspects, I get closer and closer to the telly as the film yeah, goes on. Did you do that as a kid? You went out Christmas and stuff. I 
just said it out loud. I wasn't thinking. But, but, but I just got, I didn't know, I just got bored. I wasn't like, yeah, is that no. in, is it out? I was just like, oh, as long as David, because David Coop made that Rick at, at Old Trafford, didn't he? I just think they were just doing anything to avoid him yeah. having to go to a monitor. It was like, we, we can't let David go to the monitor. The VAR would just, just change it. My guess is the, his assistant referee would have said to him, that's out the box, David, and, and that would have been, with a naked eye, that would have been my call. Wouldn't it have been yours? Did it yeah. look to you like it yeah. was just outside the box? Yeah. I think officially it might be a penalty, I, but I just think like everyone else, I've just sort of lost. Yeah, sort of you just, I mean, it's caring. just a, it's a, it's a crapshoot these uh, days, um, isn't it? Football, really, nobody, <laughs> nobody knows anything. None of us know what's going on. It's very on. hard to keep up with the laws of the game. Um, a much bigger deal was Bill Leslie and Alan Smith committing a huge crime of commentary. Oh, wow. Both of them um, referred to Solly March as just March. And he is yeah. in that list of footballers that you, you have, you to, have use to use the full name. Both names, Benekophobia, Angle, Rangel, DJ Campbell. You know, <laughs> there, there are a list of them. And, and Is that uh, one you've done at a weekend? Yeah, I quite like that. I think you could add to that. Do you want to do? Yeah, well, you, people can yeah. add to that. Rob Lee, Joe Allen. You can't. You can't just say that. You have to say all their names. Well, you could just say their surnames. Oh, no, it's quite not difficult. Allowed. Not yeah. allowed. No. Okay. Someone did text in saying, "I thought Del Piero's first name was Del." <laughs> Derek <laughs> Piero. Um, yeah. And of course, from that game as well. Uh, Ember Jem. Uh, sorry, oh, yes. Eric Jemba Jemba's been in touch. <laughs> from, he lives in Tottenham. <laughs> Says it's a nightmare for him. <laughs> Uh, although he slightly ruins it by saying, thanks, Mark in Tottenham. <laughs> so that slightly kills it, of course. But, uh, yeah, we're with you. You were being humourable, Stuart Pearce would no doubt say. Yeah. Ed uh, Draper, Mark. the broadcaster, my dad's called Mark Draper. A lot of villa gags growing oh, up. Yeah. Oh, Notts County that, as well. There can't be that them. many Mark Draper based gags can yeah. they? I don't know oh, save it for the weekend the, the amount of comedians I'm working from the Mark Draper book tonight so do bear with me yeah have we got time to talk about uh, Jimmy Bullard on Tipping Point go, uh, we no no <laughs> there we are save it right for the weekend John thank you a rare show of uh, authority really? from our producer that oh, was, I feel like I've really been told off so foot. early Dead my it, confidence it comes for the down to the, the fact that um, Max spends a lot of time uh, we have a new member of the team today and uh, Max the first question he asked them um, uh, is where do you live? Are you any good at football? Because he's looking for younger legs to do his running for him. Oh, actually, um, actually, uh, and he's in his in his dotage as a football. Now the legs are gone, and unfortunately, this this uh, young fellow, I'm sure, is a fine player at 19, but doesn't live in the away. area. And our producer does live in the area, yeah. and he's, he's Max hasn't asked him to asked dance, him. and he, he he bit this morning, didn't he? He said the fact I live like five minutes from where yeah. you play, you've never asked yeah, me. Never asked you've him. obviously made your mind. I have. Up. I've, I've made thought, my mind as yeah. a gaffer. I've made but I've looked, taken one look at him. Yeah, I've not it's a, a very, it's a very physical league. Yeah. I think he looks like a good five-a-side player. But... He's saying you're lightweight, yeah. John. And so I think that little bit of bite when he shouted no. Although having really said that, did. you could have done in the last minute <laughs> we've done. done. So it backfired on him, could, could we possibly in the next three days? Yeah. You know, because really, I'm just sitting in. These shows don't really count, do they? For okay. you or I, Yeah. I do need... I might need a new keeper for the Vets team, so a 40-plus goalkeeper. Right, you're looking for a 40-plus yeah, goalkeeper yeah. in the sort of southwest London area, yeah, is but, that right? But the, the level is still high. <laughs> is it really? Is it look, really? Look, don't shatter my dreams, Paul. <laughs> High-ish. <laughs> the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Paul Hawksby and Matt Rushton uh, here on TalkSport. There was a number of topics today that we wanted to discuss with one man. Yeah. And uh, thankfully that one man can join us. Also going to have a chat about his uh, new book. His books are uh, eagerly anticipated as well. He's journalist and author Michael Calvin. Good afternoon, Mike. Good afternoon, chaps. Um, I was going back and reading a bit about your book, Family. 
uh, you wrote you spent a year with uh, with Millwall in two thousand. The book came out in two thousand and eleven, and I found an interview mm-hmm. that you did with uh, Chris Davis for the uh, Football Writers Association, and a couple of things that you said at the time. You said you believe that uh, Millwall are burdened by an outdated image. You said uh, they're a proper football club with the right values. Sadly, people are judged by a small minority. It's interesting, here we are sort of eight years on and they're in the spotlight again. So we were interested to know, as somebody, the club got under your skin, you admit that in the book, you're not a Millwall fan, Mm. but they did get under your skin. So what have you made of the events of the last 72 hours and the fallout from it? I, I think like all decent people involved with that football club, and it is a decent football club, and it does have very good people working within it. I was appalled, frankly. Um, I was fearful of what it would do to the club. I think the club is facing a, an existential crisis in many ways. Um, I think we've got to understand it's a very complex club, and it's judged by stereotypes, but it is in that state of crisis. Um People within the club do fantastic work in what is a disadvantaged community. However, uh, I think the response from the club itself to the booing uh, was too slow, too vague, too weak. I think the meeting that they had yesterday um, was, was very good. And I think they've given themselves a chance of surviving this evening, the match against QPR, and I think it's only a a case of surviving it. Um, It's interesting, speaking to people within that meeting yesterday, they were full of praise for um, the representatives from Kick It Out and the PFA. I think it's also fair to say that they felt the FA representatives and the EFL representatives really didn't get it, really didn't get the extent of, of the issue and probably didn't have the, didn't show the strategic leadership they should have done. But I suppose we've got to get back to almost humanising this, which is, which is, I always find in what, you know, whatever I write, really instructive. The booing of players taking a knee on Saturday wasn't unexpected. It had been signposted on, on message boards which are sewers, frankly. Um, I'll give you an example. When oh. Romeo, um, who's a black player, fullback, very promising player, spoke about his distress after the game, this was one of the milder responses. And I'll quote, should never play for us again after coming out with that. I hope one of the non-kneeling QPR players snaps his legs on Tuesday. Now, let that sink in for a minute. That's incredible. And it's not the Millwall I know, that. It's not the Millwall I know. And that's where we're in a, a very dangerous situation, I think. And it's very, de- well, certainly it's a very delicate situation. The, the difficulty, I think, Mike, is, is I, I find it so hard to understand how anyone could possibly say um, booing an anti-racist stance isn't racist. It's clearly racist to boo that. I can't understand anyone not saying that, but but there are people who will be listening to this who will instantly roll their eyes and say, no, that's not true. It's a, we're standing up against a Marxist movement or whatever. And there is such a disparity between those two sets of people. And I don't know how big 
the set of people who think it's okay that what you know what happened i i fear it's bigger than i want it to be and that we want it to be i can only speak for myself and i and you know same as the discussions we've had on this radio station and elsewhere about black lives matter um about racism about homophobia about all sorts of problems in the game how do you you know and it's not necessarily a football question it's a society question how do you bring them alongside us because i think even what the way i phrased it there won't help do you know what i mean i I don't know the best way of articulating it yeah and it was all it was no wonder given the texture of the debate that you've just talked about there max that the senior figures at the club were like rabbits in a headlight on saturday night Mm. um you know one of one of the senior figures confided that he felt morally compromised by it and it's it would be human nature if others didn't feel the same way now i refuse to believe there were 1200 1300 however many um people booed on saturday i refuse to believe all those were racists i think there is a a a sense maybe a warped sense of solidarity and and in a strange way that solidarity gives me hope because Millwall fans do self-police very, very well. And I think probably they've been taken aback by the response to Saturday. I expect true Millwall fans this evening to applaud or, you know, they've got a chant there called the, the, monk, the monk's chant, which is a sort of a, a, a monotone drone, which terrifies opposing centre-halves usually. If you come up with something like that, that would be a gesture, but you're right to actually call it for what it is, the situation for what it is. This is not just about Millwall. You know, something similar happened at, at, at Colchester. There have been uh, messages of, of support from other fan bases. Let's call it what it is. It's, it's a reflection of a divided society and a sport which is morally compromised football is morally compromised at the moment and you know i didn't be- i didn't agree with the millwall supporters club who, who said uh who, who tried to conflate the political debate about the black matters organization to what went on i just i don't believe that but i think we we can't run away with the fact that that a a, a very large group of people are all racist. I just don't believe it. Mike, thanks. We're going to, we're going to talk more in a moment. We're going to talk about some uh, other matters and, and talk about your book. And I'm sure some of the stuff we've just talked about feeds into your new book as well. So Michael Calvin's with us. Um, we'll chat to him more. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Also, uh, Michael Calvin is with us at the moment. Uh, we were chatting earlier on about Mill and his, his book Family. He wrote back in 2011. Uh, Mike also wrote uh, No Hunger in Paradise, a very interesting uh, book about uh, youth football, the dream of, of making it to the big time. And Mike, we were going to give you a call today to talk about the Birmingham City who have decided to um, close their academy. It was an interesting reaction from uh, one of the products of that, Jude Bellingham, uh, as well. He was sounded it was a, a palm over the face emoji from him. I've just been reading a piece in the Birmingham Mail, making the point that it comes at a time when Villa are beefing up their academy. So they've produced a lot of great players like Damari Gray recently and Bellingham, uh, huge cash cows for the club ultimately, and great for their reputation. So why is this happening? It's not the first time it's happened for clubs at this level. Why are they in this position? And is it a good call or an understandable call or the wrong one? Uh, I think it's economically unsurprising, uh, given the financial um, crisis created by COVID. I think the issue is that a balance sheet doesn't measure a child's tears or, or a parent's alarm. What we've got at the moment are a lot of heartbroken boys, young men. They've been sold a dream that in most cases dissolved pretty much overnight. Um, I understand the strategic imperative to go and say, well, okay, let's, let's, let's look at Brentford, for instance. They closed their academy in 2016. Uh, they've now got uh, a B team, which is producing um, and is probably a more streamlined um, structure than academy football, which in, in many ways is a bit of a it's 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 a bit of a trawling exercise. Let's get a hundred kids in and try and find one sort of thing. Mm. Um, but I, again, you know, as we were talking about with the Millwall side, you, you have to you have to humanise this. I I understand that clubs when they're looking at budgets look at youth development as a nice to have rather than um, something that needs to be addressed and pursued. At the moment, um, Birmingham are almost, they, you could say that Birmingham are cutting off their, their face, uh, their, their nose to spite their face because they got 25 million for, for um, Jude Bellingham. There's a really big buzz about 
his younger brother, Joby, who's 15, already in the England youth setup, can play all across the front three. A boy like him, what's going to happen now, um, chaps, is that there's going to be a feeding frenzy. Mm. The best boys will be taken out of the Birmingham Academy. It's a very successful academy. Uh, Nathan Redmond going back. You, know, you mentioned Damari Gray. Mm. Uh, Jack Butland came through Birmingham. Um, Christian Speakman, who has just joined Sunderland as the academy, um, uh, sorry, as the technical director, had been academy director at Birmingham for nine years and had a very good coaching staff. What we've got here is it, it's there's almost an explosion within uh, an internal explosion there where you've got careers coaching careers now compromised there's been a there's been a you know a huge expansion in coaching opportunity because of the elite player performance plan where do those guys go now they're not going to have any players to coach and um you know the human cost of this forget about the savings and you know the three million pounds a year they they purportedly spend on on the academy at birmingham forget about those savings think about the human cost sure and there's a it's interesting you use the phrase feeding frenzy and it's because it feels so unsavory doesn't it and you've got to have this balance between you know those young kids want to find another <clears> club <throat> straight away they're going to be excited yeah. to find one if they can and it's that balance of success and money for a football club even beyond birmingham you know, stopping their academy just for for any player, any young player, and we don't really talk about it very much because we only look at the ones who make it, the ones who don't make it, and some yeah. because of this won't make it. Mike. Well, Brian Dick wrote this piece mm. in the in the Birmingham Mail, Mike, and uh, it's a little line. He says, "Lifelong Birmingham City supporters, fortunate enough to have a talented son or daughter, will uh, not join a community of like-minded parents who all long for the day when their offspring pulls on the royal blue of the club they love." And that was true of Bellingham. You know, this this was just he wasn't mm. just passing through; he was in. He was invested in this club. I'm sure his brother is as well. So, you know, there is more to it than just having a great career as a player. They, I think he, he cared about pulling on that shirt. Yeah, well, football is an opportunist business. And, you know, as you said earlier on, um, Paul, Aston Villa will be all over this now. They'll, they will go and, and try and get the, the, the best boys, make the best of a bad situation. So... We're left with the there's a central moral dilemma about youth development in this country where boys are being taken too young. They're being given uh, to they're being given an unsustainable dream in, in the vast percentages of, of their um, situation. And it basically to me, it you know, I know we're going to talk about uh, the new book, which is called Whose Game Is It Anyway, where what, I, what, I, what I'm confessing to in that is that actually about a year ago, I'd fallen completely out of love with football. I'd fallen out of love with the cynicism and the deception and the elitism uh, and exactly the, the sort of issues that we're talking about here at Birmingham, mm. the exploitation of, of young men, the, the commoditization of childhood. So it's it, you know, football. Sometimes we all love football, but it's a really difficult game to love. Yeah. Do you know I was going to ask you that? I mean, I, 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 your book's out next spring, so but mm -hmm. we, we're going to have a chat about it. I just wonder, Mike, you've you've written uh, about so many different aspects of the game. You've kind of looked under the rug that many times and not like what you've seen. There was always a danger this could happen. 
wasn't there that you'd that there would come a period where you think, God, this is a this is terrible, and I, I you know almost like it's put me off of it. There is there's always going to be that danger when you when when you're looking at stuff like that. I suppose so, and you know we've lived over the last nine months or so in very troubled, very thought provoking times, haven't we? And the actual um, sort of genesis of, of the book um, was actually a you know a personal bereavement. My my father in law died from COVID uh, earlier in the year in May. Uh, he was in a care home in Devon, and when we were looking at his uh, uh, personal effects, we found an old box, an old wooden box, which had been used uh, as a toolbox. And in the on the inside of the lid, there were three fixture lists from the 1932-33 season for Watford Football Club. First team, reserve team, and they had a, a midweek development team. And above the development team fixtures, there was a very small thumbnail print of a young footballer, um, but obviously, you know, Watford in those days played in in uh, in royal blue with one of these old school Ravenic um, shirts. And I thought, who is that? And I think we, we went through all the club records. I think it actually might have been my father-in-law. I think he might have had a trial for Watford. So at that moment, his father put that on there, and there was that. Uh, uh, a gesture of a parental pride or hope what was it and at that moment I thought well here we've got we go right back to the start of it we all fall in love with football when when your dad or you know your mum takes you to your first game mm. and shares the experience with you so I thought off the back of that let's look back at, at my life I've you know I've had an absolutely charmed life personally and professionally over 40 years you know i've covered every every major sports event i've been to about 80 odd countries football's done that for me so why did i fall out of love so basically what i've done is i've gone through all my experiences not just in football you know sailing around the world and meeting muhammad ali and interviewing him in the middle of park lane and meeting mandela and everything else but i used that what are the lessons that football gives us what are what is the lessons what are the lessons that that sport gives us and they are huge and they cover every aspect of our lives we've only just got to just think about what we've talked about over the last 20 yeah. minutes or so yeah we have talked about profound issues societal issues and that debate has been prompted by sport by football yeah and so therefore that's what throughout the book what i'm looking at is okay it's it's it's, a, it's sort, of, sort of a part memoir part manifesto what do i want football to be and who are the people who are going to turn football into what i want it to be and you know what it does it goes back to the fans and this is why to take this this full circle my real hope is that millwall fans this evening will do their club proud because it is a club which is difficult to like in many ways, for outsiders, but there is a strong, strong sense of solidarity there. And I'd love them to take the advantage of being live on Sky to actually make a point, but make a point perhaps in the right way. Yeah. 
Well, Mike, always a pleasure. Uh, we look forward to the book. Whose Game Is It Anyway Out? Uh, the spring next year. And no doubt we'll catch up with you before then. Thanks for your time today. That's a pleasure. There we are. It's Michael Calvin. We'd recommend all of his uh, fine books on uh, football uh, and beyond. But Living on a Volcano on the World of Management and Nowhere Men, looking at talent spotting, state of play. We should look at it again. Yeah, look, great, it's, reads, it's, great it's, reads. It's out of sight, out of mind, isn't it? It's you don't want. There are sometimes you don't want to, yeah. as you say, peel up the rug, but you probably have to, right? Yeah. And examine your own conscience and work out the things that you should. Well, we all. I mean, we feel we feel like we're in this sort of privileged position, really, even doing this job, and of we course. find out stuff that we think, oh, really, that is depressing. Yeah. You know, that well, you find out things that are going on at your club, yeah. and a, maybe a player's attitude or something that's been going on behind the scenes. You think, oh, that really, I, I wish I didn't know that because I want to be able I don't need to know that and, stuff. And, and from there to you know who's yeah. running FIFA, you know, it's yeah. the whole thing, and you think, you know. How, can good people be doing be put in the right places? I don't yeah. know. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talksport. Well, Hawksby, uh, Max Rushton here on Talksport. Uh, well, we discovered uh, earlier on today that uh, breaking uh, competitive uh, break dancing, street dancing. Uh, will be in the 2024 Olympics as uh, as an effort to attract uh, a younger crowd. In fact, it beat off the challenge of Finnish baseball, which is what, Max? It is a bit like rounders or uh, or normal baseball, but uh, the manager as I, is called Pesa Palo. And uh, according to Wikipedia, the manager has an important role in Pesa Palo, leading the offence by giving signals to the players using a multicoloured red fan. Which sounds nice, doesn't That's it? it? Would have been, would have looked good. I mean, you would have fancied the Finns to win it, as we pointed out earlier so, on. Yes. Well, it's played in uh, uh, not just uh, there; it's played in uh, Nor- uh, Germany, Sweden, Switzerland, Australia, and Canada's Northern Ontario. You'd hope, uh-huh. So they'd hope to at least make the semis. Yeah, I think, think so. Uh, cheerleading didn't get in, and that's been very popular. Cheer on Netflix, and, and mm, that's a very athletic doc. thing that would have mm. had its place in the Olympics. Squash, which has sort of been in and out over the years. Ballroom dancing. Bit of strictly, and cricket didn't make it. But uh, in uh, France, we could have played French cricket. But anyway, to, here to tell us more about uh, this and see how excited he is, and possibly whether he's heading for the Olympics, is the winner of Britain's Got Talent, breakdancer George Sampson. Good afternoon, George. Good afternoon. How are we? Good, Good thank, thank you. you. I mean, this this is. A, I was going to say for the sport, it's exciting news. Would you do you regard it as a sport? Uh, do you know what? I never have done. They've, they've sort of, people have always tinkered with the idea. And I quite like it because I've always sort of been known as an artist, but I'm going to tell people I'm an athlete now. So. <laughs> well, you are. I mean, it's, look, it's, as we said about cheerleading, it's just, it's, I mean, it's not pom-poms, is it? It's, uh, it's another thing that's very, very athletic. And you, I mean, I, you need gymnastic skills to do both well. I would imagine you've got good yeah. gymnastic skills. Is that what your background was sports-wise or not? Well, I actually started with street dance and gymnastics, yeah, and then breakdance sort of came from that. And I, I would I would say it's similar to gymnastics. Um, however, I think that for me, the only thing that concerns me is the judging, is the judging, the score in the system of how they're going to judge breakdance. Um, I imagine it's going to be similar to gymnastics. Um, but I've always considered it more artistic, so yeah. I don't, I don't going to do it. Yeah, well, they judge it as dance, don't they? So I suppose there has to be a. You're right. There has to be a set of kind of sporting criteria, marking system that they'll need to come up with. Um, 
to, to kind of effectively turn it into a sport. Maybe you've just got to be a bit more accountable than someone going, seven! You know, <laughs> yeah, it has, to, so. has to be a bit more than... than yeah. Although, having said that, ice dance wasn't it? It was, the, you know, 5.4 from the Yugoslav judge. It's no di- yeah. it's no different, is it? So, But it'd be interesting, no. you're right, how they how they do market. Well, it's always been quite underground breakdowns. It's always been considered quite underground and urban, so it's, it is going to be interesting how they bring it to mainstream. Um, I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm excited. I think it will bring a, a younger audience... Um, and I'm not saying, listen, everybody under 30 needs loves breakdance and it's a huge thing because it's it's certainly not. But I think it's it's when people watch it, I think people are going to really enjoy it and it will bring people in. And, um, you know, it's exciting. It's exciting. Well, well, I mean, presumably there'll be sort of, you know, marked for technical difficulty. What I mean, what bits of breakdancing would you not recommend sort of Paul or I try straight off the bat? <laughs> what about all of it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like well, after the running man, what what's the next, you know, next thing? <laughs> Well, this is this is kind of the thing. This is why I said the judging is going to be hard. There are so many different ways to break dance. There, you have stylistic elements. You have the fundamentals. You have sort of, um, you know, people. There are there are really really good professional break dancers out there or breakers that that don't even go on the floor. That don't need to because they have such style and um, stylized styles. And and that that's the thing for me. Um, but there's, there's there's the fundamentals. There's always beginner stuff you can do. Um, but then there are people. There are other people who do crazy power moves, gymnastic type moves, huge moves that take years of practice. But they don't have much style. So you know, there there will be an old pundit, you know, in the studio, the yeah. Graham Sunesco. Like, if you're not spinning around on your head at the end, then I'm not. <laughs> I'm not interested. But you're telling me that you can, you can pull off a good break dancing set with it. God, yeah. I sound like an old man, don't I? But like, <laughs> only 41. This is the end I'm of my leaving, life. Isn't I'm it? leaving you. Too. You sound like an old man. I'm not going down that road at all. But you can do a good one without finishing up spinning on your head. Of course you can. Of course you can. Breakdancing is very stylized. There are there are people that concentrate solely on footwork and and different things, and then there are people who solely concentrate on power moves. And uh, me, I'm 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 hoping to be that old pundit sat in the studio talking about. Yeah, you'll be on uh, you'll be on Olympic grandstand, oh, yes. George, won't you? It's just it's fantastic. You know, they'll get they'll get you in. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've, there is a. There's been a background in this. It is, it is kind of they have world championships and, and look upon it as a sport. I'm looking at some pictures, and the boys uh, who have won this particular competition and the girls they're they're not in streetwear. They're in tracksuits. They look like athletes. I'm just showing Max the picture now. That's the lineup. The Russian uh, right, young Russian lad was the uh, was the winner. So I mean, look, there's it, it's it's existing as a sport at the moment, isn't it? It's huge. It's absolutely huge. It's it's. Whenever I go into um, TV shops, they're always playing it um, on the TV, and I always stand and watch it, and, and it's always showing the world champion. And I think what people don't realise is 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 just how of a sport it can be, and how technically difficult it is um, because it's seen as quite an urban thing, and because it's seen as something that people only do on the corners of streets on a bit of lino. Um, I think people fail to see, and I think the Olympics is probably the best way to show people what it really is about. Um, and how much and how and how popular it is? There, there are massive professional breakdance teams in every country. Yeah, of the world. it's huge. It's, it's massive. Who's good? Oh, there are loads of people. I, I think for me, my favourites are the Koreans. The, the Koreans are, are, are just—I don't know what—they're a different breed. They're, they're absolutely insane. Um, the Russians are always good, uh, and the UK. You know, I will, I will, I will. You know, I'm not just saying that out of bias at all. The UK, we have some very, very strong breakdancers, um, and I think. Palace will be a good place. I think we should be looking for medals because we've got a really, really oh, good right. breakdown. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah.
Excellent. They do it in the form, apparently, they, they did at the World Youth Games, which is where this caught the attention, why they felt they could pitch for the Olympics and why they've got it. But yeah. they're like dance-offs, so they're kind of head-to-heads, like little yeah. battles. So I suppose that adds, rather than it just being marked on a performance, it is it is a battle. So that, that gives it another sort of uh, impetus, really, doesn't it? A kind of different perspective on it. Yeah, and I think it's it's more obvious as to who's who's the winner when it when it's done in that format as well, because you have a feeling watching it, not just you know describing the technicalities of what they're doing, but you, you, with a battle, you watch them and you go, do you know what? After that, that was better than that, and I preferred that. And it's it's easier. To, I think it'd be easier to judge a battle than it would be to watch two separate performances. But then I won't be judging it, so I don't know. Oh, you, you don't know. You could be. I mean, you, you t- finally you're going to come out of retirement. Well, no, you're not out of retirement at all. But you, you, are you thinking of maybe moving from it as entertainment to sport? Would you like being the Olympics, George? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely, <laughs> 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 no way. I love what I do. I've listen. I've done it since I was a kid, and I, I absolutely love it. But to see what the young kids are doing nowadays. I wouldn't even begin to compete. I, I'm focused solely on entertaining a crowd, and, and I'm quite happy to do that. Sort of like the the football trick shotter on YouTube. That's what I'm quite happy to do. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, good to talk to you, George. Appreciate your time. Thanks very much. No worry. Thank you, guys. Yeah. George Sampson, Cheers, George. Yeah, winner of Britain's Got Talent. Yeah, Paul says I did a bit of impromptu breakdancing earlier while slipping on the ice. I'm 50 on Saturday. Where do I sign up? <laughs> I must admit, it does. It was probably more interesting than the. A quest of show jumping. I don't, with all due respect to the Whitakers, yeah. you know, I'm more likely to go on the break dancing. You're probably watching. Well, I mean, there's a number of sports, isn't there, now that, that are attracting a younger audience. They want to. They want to keep things fresh in the Olympics. Why not? So, yeah. I'm sure you know. I do feel for the squash players. You know, have been yeah. standing on the tee, batting that ball around for years and years. And That's then right. Yeah. Some people come in and spin around. It's and never struck me. It's not particularly. I mean, I have the glass back courts and everything, but it's never particularly televisual. No, you really can't bad. follow the ball, can yeah. you? It's one and, and a great watch. shot, like a great tennis shot is a beautiful thing to see a yeah. great squash shot and it just kind of rolls away doesn't it? that's from oh well that's us the old uh, squash fraternity are turning <laughs> off today be marching on the building who are lit torches won't they the Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from Talk Sport TM the two finest players in the world go uh, head to head tonight uh, possibly for the final time who knows we should we should cherish them uh, while we can uh, Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo of course it, it's a dead rubber uh, both teams have qualified through uh, Group G, um, and of course, Messi doesn't always play in these games. He, you know, if there's a dead rubbery, they tend to put a second string out. They rest them both and bring them both on for the last ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to turn now to a man who wrote a book uh, about both of them, uh, effectively, and and that is uh, author and journalist Jimmy Burns. Good afternoon, Jimmy. Good afternoon. Yeah, Cristiano v, uh, v Leo, of course, and Leo was your book, not V. That's half the problem because um, people can't enjoy both of them. You, you have to pick sides, don't you, with these two? Yeah, the, the, the world's divided, as you know, about uh, who, who can claim the, the, the best uh, world prayer uh, of our times. But, I mean, you know, as you've already said in your intro, I mean, I, I think that the, the great thing about these two is that they probably define, without doubt, the, the greatest rivalry of, of the modern game, really. I uh, did so for for more than 10 years. Just look at the Ballon d'Or that they've each won and the goals they've scored and how they've scored them. Um, it's going to be a, a slightly sort of uh, anti-climax occasion, though, because, of course, the new Camp, um, which we all love when it's absolutely packed, is going to be uh, just with a few people. But, um, you know, it'll be great if they do come on, you know, because um, it could well be the last time that they play against each other. 
Do you, I was just thinking that. Do we do we think this is likely to be the last time, or can you see you know them both turning up in China or MLS in you know a few years' time? <laughs> you know, for the same side, maybe you know yeah. some some crazy, incredibly rich person goes. This is what I want. I want two forty. Even that won't have the impact. I mean, playing for Barcelona, playing for two giants of work, two great players playing for two yeah, great right. clubs is is really what. If, if it's just a, if it's a, if it happens in New Jersey, it doesn't count. Does it, it, it doesn't count. It doesn't count. In quite what do you, the same what do you way. think, Jimmy? I mean, do, you, do you? I mean, from what you know about the players. I suppose that there's because Ronaldo didn't leave Real Madrid. He's he's moved around, hasn't he? There's been so much chat about you know could Messi go when Kuman came in? It wasn't go going well. And this idea of seeing Messi in another shirt is is strange to people, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. You know, if he plays in the in, in China or in the American League or one one or the other, or they both both play in the same team in America or China, it really isn't going to be the same thing. I mean, the the, the height of a rivalry, as we all know, was was really when. When Ronaldo was at Real Madrid and and uh, and Messi was was at Barca, as he still is. Uh, since uh, Ronaldo went to Juventus, it's still there to some extent, but it's it's lost slightly its edge. Um, I mean, what makes the, the times we're living in obviously interesting is, as you know, that the summer was full of news, and it's an ongoing saga about whether Messi's going to stay at Barca or not. He's the subject of continuing controversy. I mean, you know, it hasn't been ruled out that you might end up in Man City with Guardiola, uh, which is obviously what some people in the club would, would like to do because they need the money for the club. They think he's reaching probably the end of his era at Barca. But as you say, um, you know, the, the question is, will we ever see these two players, you know, representing the sort of two of the biggest clubs in Europe and facing, facing each other? Uh, I have my, my doubts about that, m- much as I like to see it. Yeah, and um, they're very different men, aren't they? That's the other thing. You know, they are. They, you know, they're they're just very different personalities. You get. I mean, I don't know either of them, but you just get that sense from a distance, and you've looked into it in more detail. And I take it that's the case. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're chalk and cheese, really. I mean, in terms of of personality, but also in football style. I mean, in, in personality terms, you know, I mean, you, you've got you know Ronaldo, obviously, you know, quite a sort of narcissistic. Uh, athletic character, you know, into his body and uh, and sort of advertising and, and and his looks and things. I mean, Messi really couldn't care a damn about how he looks. Uh, he just plays with the ball and and is obsessed with 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 the game. Uh, which is not to say, of course, that Cristiano doesn't has always and continues to work very very hard on his game. But they are two totally different uh, styles of football, two totally different personalities on and off the pitch. Is it bad? I mean, I just don't... I'm desperately trying not to say who I prefer this, but I just can't... It's impossible not to help yourself. I find it really hard to understand anyone who'd rather watch Ronaldo play than Messi. Is it... You know, I know I'm going to upset a lot of people. It just sort of blows my mind. Who would you rely on? Well, let's use that old thing, you know, never mind the bloke who takes a penalty for your life. What about if one of those two guys had to go out and they said, well, Max, you know, um, we're pitting them... And you can only choose one of those boys tonight playing that team, but uh, if it doesn't work out, you're a goner. Right. Um, who, who are you picking? You see, I'd still pick Messi, even if I think Ronaldo might be, uh, you know, more up for it. Because even if I, even if it didn't work, it would be more beautiful for the last game I ever see. <laughs> oh, you're, oh, you're such an old romantic. I said, maybe I could ask you the same question, Jimmy, really. I mean, it's uh, you know a lot more about them than we do, but if it was playing for your life, which one of them would you rely on more? I can see you two are inventing a new, which I probably recommend, (laughs) the equivalent of Desert Island Disc. But the Desert Island, what would be the last 
player you like to see when you're stuck on an island. Um, you know, why don't you try that one, mate? I mean, <laughs> look, come on, look, those of us, and you just have to re looking at them and, and, and play the videos time and time again. You know, some of the goals that each have, have scored in, in their prime have been absolutely superb to watch, each in their own way. I mean, you know, I, I was going to think of headers, uh, Ronaldo's got into the net, you know, the dribbling by, by Messi. Uh, the speed of Ronaldo down the wing, uh, his crosses, but also playing uh, centre forward. I mean, they've always, always given us magic, both at I mean, Ronaldo's case, both at Man U and, and at Real Madrid, and at Messi, you know, continually at Barca. So, uh, I mean, I have to say, I would, you know, on a desert island, I would like to have both of them playing the ball around. <laughs> I'm not sure that's good enough, is it, yeah. Jimmy? <laughs> yeah, just passing to each other constantly for your entertainment. Yeah, um, that would be great. On, yeah. on the beach, on the beach. That well, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, he'd be the better beach oh, footballer. Messi would be a better beach. You think he'd be a better oh, beach I think footballer? So, yeah, I think yeah, he'd be he'd be putting a lot of work in on the old tan, Cristiano, yeah, wouldn't he? Oh, be yes, I, like on a rotisserie, <laughs> yeah. making sure he gets both of his sides. <laughs> anyway, uh, Jimmy, enjoy the game. I think, uh, probably after all this, neither of them will get on, but uh, let's hope they do. Thanks for joining us. Cheers, Jimmy. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, mate. Bye. Cristiano and Leo is Jimmy Burns' book about the uh, the two men, their definitive oh, story. We have hit on something here, haven't we? With, with you know, which footballer, you know, has to got to go out, presumably on a cold Tuesday night in Stoke. We've got the cricket question. Yeah. Which of the top order has to hit a six for your life? Well, you this could choose a, I mean, you could take, of you sports, could take two it? players. You could say, which player would you like to go shopping for your nan? Which, uh, if, okay. you, if you're Cristiano oh, is Ronaldo... Is purely Messi or Ronaldo? Oh, it doesn't have to be. I mean, okay. in, the, in the context of this, so which player... Uh, that's, maybe we should play Messi or Ronaldo in the last... <laughs> that could be the last time we ever seen him. Set a scenario. Yeah. Um, and Max and I, for what it's worth, will pontificate on what... It can be any... It could be as ridiculous as who would you let go... Who would you rather go shopping for your nan? Who would you trust more? I mean, I, I'm loath to say, because it's heightest, and Andy's not here, that if you want anything which is quite high up on the shelf... Oh, I see. That's harder for Leo. So for the little trip... Leo's going to lead big, a, For the big shop. For the big shop. For the big shop, Ronaldo. Well, maybe, or you've... Yeah, and uh, not that Nan's going to need anything from but, the top shelf. But I suspect Ronaldo drives a car that barely has a boot and I think Messi would have a more sensible car oh that's yeah in so terms of to get it if, home, if it's a big shop it's like the Christmas shop yeah, I think Leo's Messi probably got quite a sensible he's, he's in a, yeah. I, I see him in a, some sort of Skoda estate <laughs> yeah, yeah, he doesn't need a very he's simple in a life Spass, he's on he, yeah. the coach uh, yeah. on the coast I mean he just goes home with his family and he doesn't really get involved in much it's not a party boy is he yeah. alright well good thinking the size of the boot comes into it the Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from Talk Sport. <laughs> Yes, it's time uh, for Cruyff or Binny, where we um, plunder a couple of old shoot-in-focus features and take um, a couple of players. Yeah, how many how many messages did you get uh, on Friday or Monday when Andy was here? I don't know if you... I presume you didn't play... We Cruyff didn't play Cruyff or Binny, or Binny, Binny no. Me. Yeah, how many people messaged to say, where's Cruyff well, or Binny? None. OK. Basically, okay. <laughs> there, there was nobody stamping their foot and insisting on Cruyff or Good. Binny, but we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And um, we've been trying to develop it, do it in different ways. The, the way we did it the first day was Johan Cruyff and Fred Binny's shoot um, in focus uh, questionnaires. And we put questions that were put to both men. 
Uh, Fred Binney, the former Brighton player, Johan Cruyff, the legend of the game. And then you have to try and guess who gave that answer. You can play along at home. You'll make a value judgment based on what you know about Cruyff or Binney. Probably not a great deal about Binney. In this case, you may know about these two players because they they did they were very successful players and had a certain profile. And we're trying to move it on every day. So um, one of the players we're covering today is um, a maverick, long-haired, Sheffield United and Leeds United swaggering star uh, of the 70s, Tony Curry. Tony Curry. Tony Curry. Okay. Are you familiar with Tony Curry? I mean, just about. Just about. But yeah. you're, you're familiar with that kind of maverick style player, Alan Hudson, Alan Birch and all yeah, those yeah. sorts of players. Yeah, yeah, Bestie, yeah. Okay. George Best you've right. heard of, okay, I take so it. I'm aware of George Best. Yes, yeah. Um, so who would be the perfect accompaniment? Edwina Curry? <laughs> no, not. it's not uh, Edwina Curry. Uh. <laughs> Edwina Curry versus Tony Curry. That would be difficult, wouldn't it? Yeah, best game you ever played in. Um... Uh, yes, um, no, um, Pat Rice. Pat Rice, it's okay. It's Pat Rice, the former uh, Arsenal coach. I see where this has gone, Double right. winning fullback. Perfect, perfect. So <laughs> let's play Curry or Rice. Um, and Kate, who was, and now, well, the thing about this, uh, Pat was a no-nonsense defender, mm-hmm. a fine player, so mm-hmm. a double winner for Arsenal, but a no-nonsense defender. Okay. And you'd think his answers would be no-nonsense in line with that. Uh, Tony Curry, maverick footballer, as we say, fancy Dan, yeah. uh, long flowing blonde locks. Mm-hmm. You think his answers... So you're going to have to make these judgment calls Absolutely along the way. Two yeah. very different men, yeah. like Cristiano and Leo. Fine. Who was driving the MGB sports car at the I time? Mean, every Everything, every part of me wants to say Curry. That makes me think you want me to say Rice, so I'm going to say Curry. It was Pat Rice. Oh, yeah, oh, no, no, Pat was driving. I've overthought the, it. Brian. Yeah, you have. No. I think this is this could be the danger with this one. Pat okay. was driving the MGB, which I was quite surprised at. Okay. Uh, really, uh, let's see what Tony was driving at the time. He was driving the Volvo two four four DL. Ah, Lovely so, vehicle, oh, right. sir. So it, basically, what they were like off the pitch completely different to what they're like on the pitch. I'm not saying anything. Right, okay. uh, next up, listeners, you can have a go at this as well. Whose favourite other team was Chelsea? Was that uh, Tony Curry or was that Pat Rice? Curry or Rice? Curry. Chelsea. Curry, please. You're going Curry. Yeah. Uh, you're wrong. Oh, dear. It was, it was, uh, it was Pat Rice. Oh. Pat loved Chelsea. Oh, I, I, I see, I wouldn't have expected oh, no. that. A London rivalry. Training top, that's all I can see. Him in. Sheffield United, uh, he was at Leeds at the time, Tony, so he said Blades. Um, so, yeah, not doing very well so oh, far. Sorry about um, this. Favourite country visited. Um, mm. Who said Holland? Who said Holland? Oh, well, I'm going to have to, I'm going to stick with Curry. You're right, it oh, was yeah, Curry. Yes. Uh, Favourite country visited um, for Pat Rice was, if I can find it, Japan, oh, which is okay. quite exotic. It is, yeah. Really, I'm yeah. doing Pat when they're on well, tour. Mind you, a lot of rice. <laughs> yes, I suppose. That is, maybe that's as simple as that. He, Pat only really went to places where that where rice was popular. He didn't want to get anywhere where it was. As we go, love. <laughs> Just anywhere where they like rice. Uh, okay, um, who who loved, whose favourite thing to do was playing records and reading? I take it it's reading and not reading. Okay. Um, whose um, f- favourite things to do? Uh, yeah, who was it? Rice. It wasn't. Um, oh. Favourite things uh, for him to do was, yeah. uh, I think he played a bit of golf. He pl- oh, yeah. Um, oh, hang on, no, sorry. Am I, uh, let's, let's, let's double check this is right. Seriously. I do apologise, it's all gone slightly Don't get this Bob Holness, Yeah, no, you don't. Um... Uh, yes, you're right. It is right. It was right. I just wrote the wrong one about down. About to call my ombudsman. It's almost a steward there. Well done. <laughs> so you've got uh, two out of four. Yeah, uh, who favoured uh, the creme caramel? Oh. Whose favourite food was the creme favourite caramel? Food. Was that Pat Rice or was it Fancy Dan Maverick? 
Tony well, Curry. We know that Pat Rice only ate rice and rice pudding. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he would have had rice pudding. Yeah, wouldn't true. he? Uh, no, I'll go Pat Rice. You're going. It is, yeah. Pat Rice. He favoured the creme uh, caramel, steak and fish and chips. The no nonsense approach of uh, of TC. Not protein there. I meant to, I meant to ask the boys to, for some music, but I completely forgot in all the mayhem today. So, uh, whose favourite TV show? I was going to say was this, ah. but I'd, even even you're not that good, John, to try and guess what I'm going to say. <laughs> whose favourite TV show was Hawaii? 5 0. Uh, whose favourite TV show was. Is that. Is that. It would have helped if you'd had the music, yeah, clearly, uh, yeah. I. Uh, uh, curry. It was it was rice. It was rice once again. That he was a big fan of that and Tommy Cooper. Right. Um, favorite TV show was the two Ronnies. Yeah. And uh, sports program. Producer John is trying to rush us. To, I don't understand. You need to okay. give Croy from Binny. Like we're, we're going to keep going. Amount of time. Um, whose personal ambition was to be rich? Was it Pat Rice or Tony Curry? You wanted to be uh, rich. I mean, everything leads me to want to say Curry, so I'm going to say Rice. You're right. I was quite surprised yeah. that the, the, the sort of material aspect of that, because um, Tony Curry said to be happy. He was oh, a little bit more cosmic about it all, but no, Pat wanted the cash. Pat cash. Um, whose favourite singer was Marvin Gaye? Uh, who's Mar- who, who was the big Marvin Gaye fan? Can you tell us? Curry. It wasn't. Uh, the soul boy at this stage was was Pat Rice. Uh, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. He preferred... Um, Tony was uh, Leo Sayer and Elton John. Okay. More of the charts. A bit of a disaster. Um, if you weren't a footballer, what do you think you'd be? Who said a greengrocer? <laughs> that is quite specific. Did Tony Curry, long-haired maverick... Yes, he did, Curry. Did Tony Curry... Pat Rice oh. saw himself as a greengrocer um, and Tony didn't have a clue what he was going to do. And finally, yeah. who in the world would you most like to meet? Both players were asked. Who said the singer Dion Warwick? Rice. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Yes. Uh, Tony went for one of those smart answers that people often give in these. The Queen at Wembley. Right, good one. Although could, you could be getting a loser's medal. So, yeah. Tony, looking back, they didn't quite work, did I, it? I thoroughly enjoyed the game. Missed a trick, because if you'd put Nanny on the end of it, we could have played Curry or Rice or Nanny. <laughs> yeah, we? We, we could have done. We could have had, yeah, we could have had, if there's a bloke called Alan Kingfisher who used to play for Portsmouth, <laughs> we could have stuck that in as well. We could have had... <laughs> With Jeff, 73 Poppadons. Yeah, yeah, we could have had right. the whole meal. So there we are. You played along at home. You know more about... But I learned a lot about Pat Rice in well, there. Huge did, pressure the, on me tomorrow the two now, men, The two men didn't give the answers you'd expect. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from Talk Sport. So there we are. That was this afternoon's show. I'm sure you've already been thinking about what you're going to do for Croy for Binny. You won't well, be concentrating the last hour. You're just trying to think, <laughs> what am I going to do tomorrow for Croyford? Well, it just sort of seems lazy to go down the food route again because yeah. that was quite good. But yeah, I, I'm, I look, I'm, I'm thinking and okay. I'm not sure right yet now, but there will be it, something. You can't do it. No, I don't, can't. Don't worry. About it. I'm, I want to be the one that kills it on air. <laughs> okay, uh, thanks for listening. We're back tomorrow from one. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on TalkSport. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.